putting on, you guys, as I mentioned, is the title of today's message, Colossians 3, verse 10 through 17. How many of you were here last week? Anybody remember what we talked about last week? Putting off, right? How many of you were not here last week, by the way? It's all good if you weren't here last week because um, I'm, I'm going to kind of refresh your memory for those who were here and kind of tell you who weren't here a little bit of what we talked about last week. Last week, you guys, we talked about putting off. And what did we talk about putting off? You know, we compared it to getting home from a long day and, um, you know, when you've been out in the hot sun and your feet are stinky and you got those dirty socks and you, you take them off and you cast them aside. That's the idea of putting off. But we weren't actually talking about putting off dirty socks, were we, Nathaniel? No, we were not, right? We were talking about putting off what? Anybody remember? The sinful deeds of the what? The flesh, the old man. We spent some time talking about the old man. And we were also taught about how now we briefly kind of scratched the surface today. We're going to really dive into it. But last week we talked about how the reason why we put those things off is because we've been raised with Christ. And ultimately, having been raised with Christ, we have a new what? We have a new what? You guys know I like participation. We have, well, we're going to have a new body one day, but we ultimately have a new, starts with an L, a new life. He has given us a new life. We have a new life in Christ. And so we have put off and we continue to put off. Remember, I, I don't know if I said the example in this service or um, I couldn't remember which service I had said it in. I think I might have said it in all. But it, when the old man, the old sinful ways of the old man, when he starts like trying to climb out of the grave like a zombie, we take that shovel and we beat him over the head with it and say, no, you stay dead, you old man, you, you sinful old man, right? And we keep him in the grave by putting off the deeds of the flesh, by putting to death our members, all those things that we talked about, fornication, uncleanness, anger, wrath, malice, so on and so forth. Do you guys kind of remember that? Is all that, for those of you who were here, is that ringing a bell at least? Remember, I like bobbleheads. I like when you guys do this, when I ask questions. Even if you're maybe not even necessarily answering my question, just participate by just, yep, yep. (laughs) All right, so today is... At the in-between spot of verse 9 and verse 10 is when we see Paul in Colossians 3 here. He makes this transition away from putting off the deeds of the flesh and now to putting on the righteous garments of the new man. So let's go to the next slide. I want to show you guys just the background of our uh, the PowerPoint here. And if you are taking notes, you know, All the stuff from your guided notes will be up on the screen shortly, so just be paying close attention to that, and you'll get what you need to fill out your sheet of notes. But these articles of clothing, you guys, why are there articles of clothing on the screen? Because the image that we get when Paul says to put on is the idea of putting on articles of clothing, putting things on, like gearing up our outfit. Like if you guys are familiar with uh, the... Uh, armor of God in Ephesians 6, how we're told to put on the armor of God. And Paul goes on in Ephesians 6 to talk about the individual things that we're to put on as the armor of God. It's the same sort of concept as what we're talking about here, that we're putting on the righteous garments of the new man, of the new life. 
But before we dive into our main text and talk all about it, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. God, we do come to you this morning, and Lord, we are just so thankful to have a place to gather, uh, Lord, to gather around your word, Lord, to hear from you. God, we recognize that your word is alive, it is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and we ask that through your word today that you would speak into our lives, Lord, that your word would just be made so clear that we would be able to understand, Lord, sometimes we uh, will read your Bible and we, we won't understand everything, but may it not be so today, God. May we be able to understand what you are speaking to us. Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying this day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So put on, you guys. The definition for put on literally is to clothe oneself. We just talked about that. The articles of clothing. Putting it's the idea of like putting clothes on, only we're not talking about putting physical clothes on like you did this day when you, you know, before at your house, before coming to church. We are talking about qualities and characteristics of the new man. And we'll talk about the new man in a moment. But for the meantime, you guys, I want you to look at these two verses on the screen. Uh, Paul, he uses this word or words of put on. Uh, a couple different times throughout the Bible, these are just two of the references. One being Romans 13, 14, it says, but put on who? Put on who? It says it right there. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And we see that even the putting off still included in that, how we're not to make any provision for the flesh. And the way that we do that is by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 4.24, it says that we would put on the new man, the new man. So you guys should be open to Colossians 3, yes? If you're not, you better open up real quick. It was on the screen for your reference, so, uh, and we're also going to have the verses up there for you to follow along if you don't happen to have a Bible in your lap, which we always encourage you to have a Bible in your lap. That's why we provide them for you, uh, but if you don't, then I would encourage you to look to the screen as we read through this. Now, on the screen, we're going to start at verse 10, but I'm actually going to start at the middle part of verse 9 because it gives us just a brief little bit of context of what we talked about last week and how it leads into what we're talking about this week, okay? So look with me at the second part of verse 9. We're starting after he says, do not lie to one another. We'll start right after that point. It says, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, now we're in verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Boys, you follow along right there? Thank you. The image of him who created him in knowledge, uh, excuse me, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Moving on to verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. 
But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Our final verse, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if you are taking notes today in your guided notes, point number one, you guys, is the new man. The new man. And we see the new man and who the new man is described in verses 10 through 12a. And if you don't know what I mean by 12a, it just means like the first half of verse 12. So we see the new man described in verses 10 through 12a. And we see that there is this new man that is commanded that we are to put on the new man, like we are putting on the clothes of the new man. But who exactly is this new man? That's the question we're about to answer. Who is the new man? You guys, the new man is the new nature that we're given when we become born again. The new nature that we are given when we are born again. Everyone say new nature. New nature. This is the new nature that when we become born again, which if you don't know what born again means, you should know it because that's what it means to truly be a follower of Christ. Jesus has this conversation, excuse me, with Nicodemus in uh, John chapter three, and he's going back and forth with Nicodemus having this dialogue and he tells Nicodemus and ultimately he tells the whole world that you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of people say that they're Christians. You probably have met a lot of people who if you ask them, hey, are you a Christian? They'll be like, yep. But if you ask that same person, hey, are you born again? Some people who say they're Christians might look at you like you're a lunatic when you say, have you been born again? But in reality, if you are a Christian, you have been born again. You've been given a new life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 on the screen there for you guys, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? What does it say there? A new what? A new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All the old junk that we talked about last week, right, has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, when we are born again by the Spirit of God, you guys, and when we're in Christ, we, we, we're a new creation. We have a new nature. The Spirit of God, at the moment of salvation, the Bible teaches that the Spirit enters into us in that moment, and that the Spirit gives us this new nature that desires to live for the Lord, that desires to do the things that please God. We had that old nature, right? And we still have the old man in us, right, who wants to get his way, but the Holy Spirit in us gives us that new nature. So when we're talking about the new man, we are talking about that new nature 
by the Spirit of God. But what does he say about the new man, you guys? He says that the new man is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. See, the, the new man has this renewed, the idea of renew is uh, to make something new again, right? And we have this renewed knowledge that is according to Jesus, renewed knowledge. You'll see that in your notes if you are adding to your guided notes, that we have a renewed knowledge. And what this means, you guys, is that the new man, the new you, the post coming to Jesus you has a new way of seeing things, right? You don't have the same perspective that you used to, all right? You should see the world through the lens of Jesus. We have a new mind, a new perspective, a new way of seeing things. Um, I don't know if you guys like sunglasses. I actually, I like sunglasses. Like, it's not something I just wear. Like, for whatever reason, I like sunglasses. Uh, I'm a big Oakley fan, all right? And uh, I, I love their shades. But, you know, over time, sunglasses get what? They get damaged, right? You drop them. Uh, they get wet or whatever. And so uh, whenever I get a new pair of sunglasses, I always keep my old ones, uh, you know, typically, as long as I liked those old ones and that they didn't completely break. I usually will keep it because, um, you know, like yesterday uh, when we are down at the baptism, was anyone at the baptism yesterday? A couple of you guys, yep. Uh, I was wearing a pair of old sunglasses because like I'm in, I'm in the ocean water. You know, if they get wet, you know, I don't have to worry about them getting ruined because they're, they're an old pair. But my old sunglasses, you guys, you know, they got scratches all over these things and almost to the point where like I'm like looking through it and I'm like almost getting a little bit of a headache because I got like all these blurry spots uh, from the scratches that have built up over time. Or like imagine comparing like just a cheap like $5 pair of sunglasses that you get at the gas station, which, you know, like... $5 pair of sunglasses better than no sunglasses on a hot day, in my opinion, a hot and sunny day. Uh, but imagine you have something like that, and then you have a nice pair of Oakleys with the prism polarized lenses, right, that you put those things on, like, you go from the gas station lenses where it's like, okay, you know, it's kind of nice, and then you put those other Oakley glasses on, and it's like you're seeing a whole different world. Like, all the colors are just like, amazing and like you're you see clearly and it's this idea that this is what it looks like to have that renewed knowledge you guys that renewed perspective you have a new lens that you see the world through and then is ultimately according to the image of Jesus Christ you see getting this renewed knowledge you guys is something that happens at the moment of salvation but it's also something that you guys are to continue to grow in. Like, it's not like, oh, I have the renewed knowledge and now, I, you know, that's it. No, you grow in this renewed knowledge. The Bible says in Romans 12, verse 2, it's on the screen if I'm not mistaken. Look up there with me. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? What does it say? The what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove uh, the that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. The renewing of your mind, you guys, this happens on a daily basis as you seek the Lord, as you spend time with Jesus in, in prayer and in his word, and as you surround yourself with like-minded believers who are also wanting to pursue Jesus, your mind is constantly being shaped to think a certain way, the way that God wants you to think, the way that God wants you to see things in this life. You see, when uh, you guys, when 
not, how long ago was it? I'm trying to think. Maybe like, I think I rededicated my life to the Lord eight years ago or so, uh, maybe a little bit less than eight years ago. But one of the things, you guys, when I was not walking with the Lord and I was living, you know, for the, the ways of the old man is I, I was so like, when I rededicated my life to the Lord, I was like, Lord, how are you going to change my mind? Because there's just so much junk that still is in my mind. Like, how are you going to do this, Lord? And day by day, as I sought the Lord, as I spent time with him, as I mentioned, as I surrounded myself with like-minded people, my mind was being transformed. My mind was being renewed. And the new man, you guys, is a man who has a renewed sense of knowledge according to Jesus. Look back with me at uh, verse 11, you guys. It says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And I love this, you guys, because Christ is the is what brings us all together. You know, we are all different people and we all have different walks of life and we all have even, you know, your skin color, some of you is different than my skin color and where you live is different than where I live and you might make like way more money than I make. Probably a lot of your families do, right? But it's all good because Christ is all. Christ is what brings us together. He is the unifying of every tribe, tongue, and nation that there is no distinction because of Jesus. And I love that. See, only in Christ, you guys, everybody look at me real quick. Only in Christ will we actually see other people for who they really are, which is children of God. Well, if they're believers, they're considered children of God. But every person is made, at least made in God's image. And when you're in Christ, you can see the value in another because you recognize that that person is made in the image of God. He moves on, you guys. He says, therefore, as the elect of God. Holy and beloved. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions on what's called the doctrine of election. All right. And, you know, maybe you guys have heard conversations about this. I wouldn't imagine, you know, I, I probably had never really considered it much in your uh, in, at your age, I should say. But what you need to know about the doctrine of election is a lot of people get it twisted. Essentially what it is, you guys, is the elect, when he says, therefore, as the elect, it's not a word that we use very often, but what it means, you guys, is that those who are saved, those who have experienced the salvation that is in Jesus Christ, those who God has the Bible says that God has predestined, but he has predestined according to his foreknowledge, meaning God already knew who would choose him and who would reject him. And the elect are those who chose him and those who God has also chosen. It's twofold there. But he says that the elect of God, you guys, are these that are holy. Anybody know what the word holy means? It's a Christian word we use all the time, but I, you know, I don't want us to hear it all the time and not have no idea what we're talking about. What does it mean? It means to be set apart. Exactly. Great answer. That's exactly what it means in the Bible. To be holy, this is almost the image that we can get in our mind. That if there's like a group of people right here, it's as though God takes you from this group of people and places you over here. He sets you apart from how you used to be. He makes you 
holy. And the Bible teaches us that we have been made holy. We have been set apart because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, you guys, that God ultimately made him, him being Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus was perfectly sin, sinless, and yet Jesus became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the whole gospel right there, you guys, that we have become the righteousness of God. We have become acceptable before a holy and, and pure and perfect God because, not because of us, but because of the perfect, spotless righteousness of Jesus, which now covers us, which is how God now sees us. But what else does he say? He says that the elect of God are those who are beloved, or beloved. And this is the that deep love that God has for his children, you guys, because of Jesus Christ. That deep love that God has for his children. And we should be walking in that deep love that he has for us. So now that we know that we have the new man, you guys good? You understanding that we have a new man? We have a new nature in us now? Yes? Bobbleheads, come on. There we go. Yes, so now we know that we have the new man with the new nature. Let's move on to point number two, which is what the new man wears. What the new man wears. Or if there's, uh, in your guided notes, there might be like two blanks. You could either put wears or puts on if you want to stick to the verbiage that Paul uses here. But it's the same idea of what the new man wears. And we see this in the second part of verse 12 through verse 14. And we're going to get into a lot of uh, different qualities in a moment, and we're going to talk about each one individually, but what I want you guys to understand about all these things that we're about to read about, all these quote-unquote, we might say, garments of righteousness, all these articles of clothing that represent the righteousness that we are to wear and put on, guess who perfectly displayed them for us to look to? Jesus did. You see, we're going to look into some things here, but Jesus, he perfectly displayed these things. So as we look to Jesus, as we read about Jesus's life and his example through the gospels and throughout the Bible, we will have the example that we need for all of these things we're about to read. Putting on these garments, you guys, is ultimately being like Jesus. Do you guys want to be like Jesus? Does that interest you at all? Do you want to be like Jesus? I hope that you do, because if you call yourself a Christian, you should have a desire to be like Jesus. That is the, the essence and the nature of the new man, is to be like Jesus and do the things that please God. So what are these garments? What are these things that we're to put on? First one he identifies is to put on tender mercies. Tender mercies, all right? And tender mercies, you guys, this is actually an interesting word uh, because it literally means bowels of mercy. Now, like bowels, you guys, without getting all disgusting, <laughs> is like your insides, like your, your guts, your stomach, all right? And if we could go to the next slide, the best way to describe what it means to have tender mercies is it's a heart of compassion, Guess what we read about Jesus throughout the Gospels? That Jesus was compassionate. It says that he, you know, he looked out upon, a, a, you know, a sea of people, not a literal sea, but like a mass amount of people. 
and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was compassionate, and the Bible has called us, too, to be compassionate people. And, you know, this is something that I think, the, like, church-wide, not, I'm not identifying our church necessarily. I'm saying every Christian, we could all do probably a better job at this. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, like, it is, it's hard to be compassionate. Because you know what compassion is? It's like, hey, even when you're being like, you know, something I completely disagree with, like Jesus, you know, had compassion on you or has compassion on you. And so I'm going to exercise compassion on you, recognizing that you're someone who has just yet to come to Jesus. That's how I try and think about people that I disagree with, uh, you know, as far as like, you know, I'm not talking about disagreeing like, oh, like, um, you know, turkey's better than roast beef, like disagreements, you know, but more so like, which I think I do, you know, maybe disagree. I like roast beef too. I don't know. But what I'm saying, you guys, is when, when you have these disagreements and you see people in the world who are just outliving this, this lifestyle that is anti-God and it, and it makes you angry that you'd have compassion on them because all they are is someone who has just yet to come to Jesus. And Jesus was compassionate and we too are to have a heart of compassion. Kindness, you guys. Now, I want to say about these words that we're kind of looking into. These words are so deeply connected with one another that it's almost hard to define them without saying one of the other qualities. Like kindness is linked to humility. Humility and meekness are like super linked. So I want you to kind of think about like all these things are one, you guys. And we're going to talk about the one thing that unifies these things in a short moment. But let's look at kindness, you guys. It is to be, is, I mean, the, the most practical way of saying this is to be friendly, to be generous towards people, to be considerate. Like kindness should be something that is like a trademark of the Christian. Like if we can't even be kind to one another and be kind to non-believers, like you know, then, then we're, we're falling short. We need to be kind and not the, you know, not the, the, kindness is actually like a strong word in the original language. It's not like this sissy la la stuff, you know, like, oh, just be kind. Like, no, you be kind because it's, it's an act of love to be kind towards one another. And kindness, you guys, is actually one of these qualities that we see in Colossians 3 that is also a fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. Humility. The Bible has a lot to say about humility and what it means to be humble. And I want to try and give you guys a, uh, you know, a simple definition of this. And basically what it means is to have a deep sense of moral littleness. Meaning in the spiritual, like, like you are recognizing that, you know, you are just a sinner before a holy and righteous God and that you have nothing to offer God and yet God chooses to love you. So it's not necessarily like thinking so badly of yourself. Like there's this sense of false humility, which is like, I'm so awful, like Eeyore status, you know, like where Eeyore is walking around just all depressed about whatever, you know, but it's not like Eeyore, like, I'm so sad that because I'm this kind of person, I'm this. No, it's, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others more than you. Humility, you guys, the way that the Bible describes it displayed in Jesus is lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. And Jesus says, you guys, in Matthew 23, 
verses 11 through 12. And if you just want to jot down that verse reference somewhere next to humility in your notes, you are welcome to do so. That's Matthew 23, verse 11 through 12. Jesus says, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Meekness. Meekness, you guys, is another word that, like I said, super linked to humility. To be meek is to be gentle and mild. And I got to be completely honest with you guys. This is an area that I like, I struggle in, I need work in. Um, You know, I, I tend to not be as gentle of a person. Now, by the grace of God, I know that I have grown in this. And, you know, by the grace of God, I continue to grow in this. But, you know, to be meek is to carry yourself in a sense of gentleness, that you are gentle with others, that you're mild, mild mannered, excuse me, that you're, it's, it's an attitude of humility. It's the way that you carry yourself. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, another verse reference you could jot next to meekness in your Bible, Matthew 5, 5, that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God has called us to be meek. He moves on. The next quality, long-suffering. The next garment that the new man puts on is long-suffering, you guys. This is patience. This is what patience looks like. Forbearance. It means essentially that slowness in avenging wrongs. It means to have like a long fuse. You guys know how like you have a fuse, like we're going to be lighting off fireworks here in a few weeks, right? There's a fuse on the fireworks, and when you light the fuse, the fuse kind of goes down, and then you got kaboom, right? Um, Long suffering means you got a really long fuse, meaning if someone like does something that upsets you, right, that or is doing something that is continuing to upset you, that like you don't have like this short fuse, like this short temper, you know, the world will even like, some people will even boast about having a short temper, like, oh, don't mess with me, I got a short temper. I'm like, well, then you need to be more long suffering, my friend. You need to have a longer fuse because that's what that means. It means that if someone's doing something that bothers you like that, you should be able to endure that and be patient and forbear that because ultimately because of love. And this is an aspect, all of these aspects are aspects of God, but this quality specifically is something that the Bible says that God is long suffering toward us and not willing that any should perish. And that's found in 1 Peter 5. But you guys ever wonder, like, Jesus, why have you not come back yet? Anybody ever, like, think that thought? Am I the only one who has ever thought that thought? You know, people were probably, like, like, I'm 27 years old. People were probably thinking that same thought 28 years ago. And I'm glad that Jesus didn't listen to them, because guess who would not have been born and saved by the blood of Jesus? This guy right here and all of you. But because God is long-suffering, right, Jesus has not returned. There's an appointed time that Jesus will, will return ultimately and rapture his church, right? But in the meantime, guess what's happening? People are getting saved, right? Because of the long-sufferingness of God. Long-sufferingness, I don't know if that's fully a word, but you get what I'm saying, all right? Because God is long-suffering, people are being saved. And I am thankful that God continues to be long-suffering with me because I know that I could be a knucklehead and God continues to bear with me in all my failures and all my faults because he loves me. 
Bearing with one another, you guys. It's the idea of enduring the faults of one another. I mentioned to you guys how I don't tend to be a gentle person, you know, how I got to work on that aspect of myself. You could say of me, oh, that, that's a fault of yours, Tate. And I would say, yes, it is a fault of mine. It's something that I have to work on. And guess what you also have? You have faults, right? And if we're all, you know, we, we just had the Sunday shakeup not that long ago, right? You're all interacting with each other. You're brushing shoulders with one another. These faults that we have, they're going to come out in environments where we're around one another, right? It's going to happen. But to be, uh, to, to be bearing with one another is to, hey, you have your faults, but I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to be long-suffering with you. It's connected to long-suffering just as meekness and humility are connected. And so we're called to endure the faults and the shortcomings of one another because God, he does that with us as well. And it's in this bearing with one another, you guys, is more than just putting up with one another. You're like, oh, yeah, you're just, I'm just putting up with you. It's like, no, I'm, I'm loving you. I'm bearing with you because of love. Forgiving one another, you guys, forgiveness. It's the idea that when, when someone does have a complaint or when, uh, when, when you have been wronged in a very real way, when someone has sinned against you and done something wrong towards you, it's that we forgive them quickly. Another weird thing that the world is so proud about is their ability to hold on to grudges. Like that's, that's not a godly thing. Obviously, it's the world we're talking about, but even some Christians are like, oh yeah, I, I just, I hold grudges. You shouldn't, because the Bible says, even as Christ forgave you, so you also, does it say should do? Does it say should do in your Bible in verse 13, you guys? Even as Christ forgave you, so you also should do? No, what does it say? It says you must do. This is a non-negotiable Because Jesus has forgiven us of our debt of sin, which is ultimately unpayable, we should be able to forgive the sins that people commit towards us. In Matthew 18, you guys, we're not going to turn there and, you know, I'm going to more so tell you about the parable that Jesus gives, the parable of the unforgiving servant, if you've ever heard of it. But I want to kind of take the parable and I want to make it an example that maybe you guys can relate to. So I want you guys to imagine this. I want to, after service today, let's say that I'm hanging out in the snack bar with you guys and in comes this, this big guy. He's wearing a nice black suit, sunglasses, and he comes up to me and he pulls me aside and you're kind of standing by so you're eavesdropping and you can hear the conversation. And imagine he goes, Tate, I'm here because you owe the bank $5 million. Now I don't owe the bank $5 million, thank the Lord. But imagine he comes to me and he says, Tate, you owe the bank $5 million. And then you're, you're listening, you're like, oh my gosh, what did Tate do? You know, like, what is he spending money on, right? And then you hear the conversation kind of keep going and you hear me like, oh my gosh, like, no, like, please, like, I can't, like, there's no way, like, I can even, like, I'm going to be in debt for my whole life. Like, this is, this is the worst thing you could have possibly told me. And I beg before the man and he goes, you know what? I'm going to forgive your debt. I'm going to forgive your $5 million debt. And I, and I break down rejoicing in front of him, and I'm crying, and I'm so happy, right? And then he, he leaves, and then I turn around, and I, uh, you know, Lincoln, 
uh, let's say links are, you're just, you're up front. This uh, perks of being up front. You get called out for examples. But let's say I turn around in the snack bar and I come up to Lincoln. I'm like, hey, Lincoln, don't you have like a, a $5 debt in the snack bar? Like, don't you have like, now we don't do IOUs, but for the sake of example, we'll follow along. Don't you have like a, a five, like, didn't you do like five IOUs to where you asked to get something, but you didn't have the money at the time? And Lincoln's like, well, yeah, yeah, I do, but I don't, I don't have the money to pay that just yet. I haven't got my allowance uh, just yet. And I'm like, you know what, Lincoln? I'm sorry, man. You got to pay up. He's like, but I don't have the money. He's like, all right, we'll start. I'll take your shoes. Give me your watch. You know, your, you know, your nice stuff. You can start bringing it to me and we'll, we'll cover that debt of yours. And you just saw me forgiven of all this debt, $5 million, turn around and start scolding Lincoln for a $5 snack bar debt. And this is, the, this is essentially what the parable Jesus says in Matthew 18 of how ridiculous it is for us who have been forgiven of our unpayable debt of sin to turn around and be unforgiving towards one another when we are wrong. Do you guys see how that's ridiculous? No, I'm not saying, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world when someone does something very, very wrong against you that it's so easy to just forgive them. It's not, but it's possible because you have been forgiven of far greater things by Jesus Christ himself. And he moves on, you guys. He says, at verse 14, he says, Above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection, love. Now, when he says this is the bond of perfection, you guys, I want you to think about it this way. Love is the, the characteristic, the quality that holds all the other qualities together. So if we're putting on love, do you think we're gonna be putting on tender mercies? Yep. If we're putting on love, do you think we're gonna be putting on kindness? Yes. Meekness, yes. Long-suffering, forgiveness, yep, yep. We put on love. It is the bond of perfection. It holds everything together. 1 Corinthians 13, you guys, the famous portion of scripture that talks about love. Uh, you should be familiar with it because love is the bond of perfection. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8 and verse 13, that love suffers long. What does that sound like? Doesn't it sound like long suffering? Guess why? Because it is. Love suffers long and is what? Kind. Oh, we just talked about kindness. You see how love is the manifestation of these different qualities? Are you guys seeing that? Come on, right here. You know what I'm looking for. Yes. Yes, hopefully you are seeing that. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And then verse 13, and now abide, abide in faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest of these is love. In John 13, verses 34 through 35, you guys, Jesus 
talking to his disciples, which you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are considered one of his disciples. And so he has these words to say to you as well. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. By what, Jesus? If you have love for one another. See, you guys, if we're, if we're believers in Christ, if we're followers of his, we must put on love because it is the bond of perfection and is ultimately how the world knows that we are his. Our last point, you guys, and we're going to move through this one quickly, is number three, how the new man lives. So we talked about what the new man puts on, but what is the lifestyle of the new man like? We see this as verse in, excuse me, we see this in verses 15 through 17. He says, "Let the peace of God rule in your hearts." The idea of letting rule you guys is giving peace, control of your heart. You know, we have a lot of things in the world that are trying to rob us of peace, but the peace of God is available to us to the point where all we have to do is let it rule us. We let it, we allow it to rule over our hearts. The peace of God, you guys, is the tranquil state of soul. It is a calm state of your soul that is ultimately assured of its salvation through Christ. It's being free of fear, being content. And the reason why we don't have peace and why so many people lack peace, you guys, is because we don't let it rule in our hearts. Now, no one would stand up here and say, oh, I would rather have worry, stress, and anxiety, right? I would rather have those things than peace. You'd be like, that person's a lunatic, right? Nobody, nobody says that. But in how we live, it's like God says, okay, here's my peace. Pick it up. Let it rule over your heart. And we're like, oh, yeah. And we're, we're holding on to stress, worry, and anxiety over here. We're like, oh, yeah, I want to I wanna, I wanna pick that up, God. It's like we're just holding on to the things that keep us stressed, the things that we worry about. When God says, leave that and pick up my peace, let it rule over your heart. The new man lets the peace of God rule over his heart. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, you guys, says to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I know this is a long verse, but I would encourage you to commit this one to memory because it is worth it. Because it teaches us that the peace of God is available to us through prayer. You want to know how to stop worrying about everything and to be stressed and anxious all the time? Give yourself to the Lord in prayer because the result is God will give his peace, a peace that is better than even understanding what's going on, and it will ultimately guard your hearts and minds. The idea of guard, you guys, is like this. If I'm standing right here, and imagine I have like 10 military guys around me that are circled around me, that are looking outward, that are protecting me, and that's how God's peace is there to protect you. It's all around you guarding your heart and your mind. And he says, and be thankful. The idea of thankful, I don't think I need to belabor this one, is to, to recognize and be grateful to God for all things. 
right? There's always something to be thankful for, isn't there? At the end of the day, if you were stripped of every earthly possession you ever had, man, be thankful of the fact that it's not always going to be that way, that one day you're going to be going to heaven, right? There's always something that we can be thankful for. And the Bible tells us that it is the will of God that we would be thankful and you guys, there's a, a few other things in verse 16 that, you know, we don't have time to go into when he talks about letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly and teaching one another and admonishing one another, um, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all these things. We don't have, you know, the, the amount of time we need to really dive into those. But um, I do want to emphasize what he says in verse 17 to close, you guys, is that we would do all in the name of Jesus See, whether in what we say or what we do, you guys, we do it all in Jesus' name. You see, we bless the name of God when what we say and what we do is pleasing to him, you guys, and that should be our goal. And worship team, you guys can come on out as we close, you guys. As I mentioned in the beginning, you guys, that we, like, we, we're not told to put all these things on without being given an example. And who is that example of how to wear all these things? It's Jesus. Exactly, it's Jesus. And as we grow near to Jesus day by day, we will be, we will be these qualities will be evident in our life. It will happen. You won't, need, you won't need to strain for it. As you get close to Jesus, you're gonna become more like him. As Paul said in Romans 13, 14, you guys, the, the, it was mentioned at the beginning of service. Paul says everything he just said in Colossians 3, he says it in a, a little bit less few words in Romans 13, 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for you guys today is that you would put on Jesus. Did any of you uh, serve at night in Bethlehem? I know I'm like, you're like, what? What is he thinking? A complete 180. What is he talking about? Night in Bethlehem, you guys. There's this point in night in Bethlehem where you have to wear these clothes, you know, and like you're, you're there and you show up in your regular clothes, right? And then you have to put on these garments to look like, you know, an, an old ancient, you know, character in Israel, right? And in night in Bethlehem, does anybody remember how they gave you a picture or a video to watch about how to like do your head wrap, about how to wear your garments? Anybody remember that? If you were at night in Bethlehem, you, you should remember that. And it's like that, you guys. It's like Jesus is that picture or video that we have that's like, okay, I'm, I'm putting on love. This is how I wear love. I'm putting on tender mercies. This is how I wear tender mercies. And it's as we look to him and as we grow close to him that we will put these things on. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you. Man, Jesus, we really thank you that you have not called us to wear these garments of righteousness, righteousness not, having not worn them yourself. God, that you are our example. Lord, that we can look to you and we will know how to wear love. We will know how to wear compassion and kindness and what it means to be meek. And God, I pray over every student in this room, God, that they would have a heart to be like you. Lord, we know we are far from what you've called us to be. But God, I pray that we would be pursuing being like you.
And God, that you would help us. Lord, that we would continue to put off the deeds of the flesh. That when the old man starts trying to climb up out of that grave, Lord, that we would keep him dead by putting off his old deeds. And that we would put on the garments of righteousness that Jesus, you, your first, you, you yourself first wore. And so, God, we look to you for these things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.